Hi, it's Sarah sneaking in one more time before the music starts to tell you about an exciting new product we have just announced from Swivel. It is called Mirror, and it's a new tool made to recognize the potential of reflection in classrooms, you know, like looking in a mirror. We built Mirror to thrive with AI, to reflect easier, and to partner with teachers. My opinion? I think Mirror is where you and your students are going to meet your potential selves. Check the show notes for this episode for a link to all the information that you need to start exploring and to enter to win a device today. What would that look like to be vulnerable as a teacher and bring kids alongside you with that? You know, we've got this real world problem to solve and here's how we think we're going to do it. And to find out we didn't solve it that way, but we learned something new. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Optimalist, a podcast where we have set out to explore the optimal way to educate in the age of AI. If you're new here, I'm Sarah Candela, your host through this exploration of the elements of human flourishing. These days, today's guest serves as the Chief Academic Officer of ProSolve. Dr. Michelle Ament is a dynamic educational leader committed to equipping learners with human-centered skills for career readiness. 27 years of experience, she transforms K-12 education through innovative learning experiences, fostering academic achievement and social-emotional growth along the way. Dr. Ament emphasizes SEL cultivates inclusive classrooms that foster critical thinking, problem-solving, creativity, and teamwork. Her forward-thinking approach prepares students for success in an ever-changing world, ensuring that they acquire the essential skills to thrive in their careers and beyond. This is one of my most anticipated conversations to not only have, but to release to all of you as well. And I am thrilled to bring it to everybody today. I mean, Sometimes you just know when you align with somebody. So I hope you enjoy this episode. For me, I've always seen myself as a learning designer, someone that designs learning experiences. So, and that really has been kind of my my purpose throughout my career. When I started, even as a classroom teacher, it was always about really understanding my students and then figuring out what their strengths were, what some of their needs of growth were, and then designing learning experiences that met their needs. And so I think throughout my career, it's really been about that pursuit of designing learning that really meets the needs of students. And so as a classroom teacher, as district administrator, and now as a chief academic officer with ProSolve, it's really about designing those amazing learning experiences where people really don't even know they're in a traditional learning um, environment. They're so immersed in what is happening and that they, that they're not even aware of what they're doing and learning as part of the process. So I I like the way you're putting that, not aware of it. And I'm thinking of so many moments in my own teaching career where that was probably, I, I don't know if I would have put it in those words, but in the back of my mind when I was designing very specific, especially towards the end of my career in education, um, designing very specific learning experiences that I would probably describe now exactly how you just said it, which is I want X, Y, and Z to happen. I want this to be the experience, but I want it to feel like something else. People have increasingly in the years since I've left the classroom, have increasingly been using and finding that language that that is what they are looking for. But I think it's really hard to do. Right. Um, do you do you find like what what is your experience in finding um, how difficult is it for teachers to find their footing in that respect, and what does it take to get there? Yeah, it is difficult, and by no means do I think that there isn't intentionality in the learning design process. So. 
the designer really knows what the goals and the outcomes, what students need to know and be able to do. But it is about tapping into creativity and figuring out how to think differently about how I've always taught these standards, these competencies, these skills. And I think at the heart of it, it's also really, really knowing your students, knowing what motivates them, what's meaningful to them. And that's going to that's going to differ depending on where you live, what the cultural background is of your students, what is the hottest, latest topic of the times. So those are all some of the things I think about in the, as you get to really understand your learner. And that really starts with having empathy for who they are each day as they come to school. So that's the first step. And then I think some of it for teachers is also being able to just let go of some of the control and being able to take a risk Mm. and step into that space where they, um, they may fail the first time. And there's a huge amount of reflection there to figure out how to make it improve the learning and make it better the next time. And I think, you know, to me, that's the art of teaching. And when I started my career, I have 25 years ago, that is what I showed up every day in my classroom to do. And I think over time, we've been so consumed with accountability measures and with standardized assessments that we've lost that art of teaching and really fallen into this transactional approach to learning. Now I'm going to let everyone listening in on a little secret about my connection to you and how we started, um, I guess, this evolving conversation now is that you talk so much on the internet out there on the web <laughs> about artificial intelligence. Yes, I, like that is something that I'm working on a lot with um, the work we're doing with Swivel and various projects and initiatives that we're involved in right now. And so that catches my eye, especially because you were all of a sudden you were in my feed one day a lot. <laughs> right. I don't know where it comes from. I'm like, and that's, I think my first reach out to you was like, do I know you? <laughs> It was. That, that's the universe, Sarah. Because I, I kept bringing us I'm, I'm not even exaggerating that I would, because it was a couple days I just kept seeing and I was drawn to the fact that you were pairing artificial intelligence with human intelligence and you were writing thoughtful stuff. And I was like, wow, she's doing a lot of this and I, I don't have, I, I want to answer all of them. <laughs> I can't reply to all of them. But then I kept staring at your name like, do I know her? Like, where is it familiar to me? I think I convinced myself that it was familiar to me. So I DM'd you. And I'm like, I know you from somewhere. But I, yeah, but maybe it was the universe just imprinting you in my brain saying, you don't know her, but you should. Right. (laughs) So, well, I'm bringing this little background story up because you do talk a lot and we'll share your socials and stuff at the end of this conversation, but you do talk a lot about artificial intelligence and its neighbor, human intelligence. And so when you talk about reimagining the, you know, the experience of learning and the endeavor of teaching to create human intelligence, what is in your mind when you're thinking about that, that phrase? What does that mean now, especially now? Well, especially now it means that the world is changing and what we've thought about in terms of career readiness or workforce readiness is drastically changing. And my case is that we need to really start immersing our students in building that human intelligence in our classrooms so that they are ready for an AI world. And, you know, there's stats out there we could, we could, talk all day about the stats that indicate the jobs that will be replaced by generative AI and the the um, new roles that will be created that we haven't even is we haven't even we don't even know about and with that I think I'm just really focused on how do we create human intelligence and so what does that mean so that those are the soft skills those are the four C's those are the things that make us uniquely human that we will continue to 
strengthen and build in order to be successful in the workforce going forward. And I think that we are going to shift really quick from being a knowledge focused system that that students need different understandings and knowledge to be successful in a career and lean more heavily on the human-centered skills that you'll need to be successful in a career. And here's the thing, we've always talked about that and mm-hmm. things that that um, our students need to be college and career ready. But now I think it is just accelerated so great by the increase of artificial intelligence coming into our day-to-day worlds like we've never seen before. And so I see this more as an impetus for a transformation that I've been working on for many years in education. And now I see it as an accelerator for change. And that is really what I'm all about in helping people kind of wake up and think, all right, given where our world is headed, we've got to make some urgent systematic change in our day-to-day approach to learning, teaching, and assessment. Do you think that when we talk about things like college and career readiness, and then it's it's an adjacent term, which is like the 21st century skills and our hold, the hold that those two concepts have had on us in education for such a long time, do you think that we are right now at this I don't even know if it's the precipice anymore, but literally in the middle of it at this point where we are going to need to say goodbye to those things and what, and, and really figure out what is the next level? What does college and career readiness even mean? What are we getting ready for? Is it college? Is it like what, what are the things? And then what are the, you know, when we think of 21st century skills, you know, we like to have attachments to these categories of things that um, help us to understand what it is that we're doing. And that's true in all aspects of life. But like, are, do we need to move away from these things now? And what is the next level that we need to start thinking about? Right. You bring up a really good point about categories or silos or isolating. You know, now is the time when we're going to learn our four C's. That just doesn't exist anymore. They need to be embedded in everything that we're doing. And so when I talk about being a designer of learning, it's about creating experiences where students can authentically communicate and collaborate with one another in to solve real world problems. And that that's the type of learning that needs to be happening in our in our schools opposed to here's here's all the information I, the teacher, am going to provide to you today so that on Friday you can pass this exam, demonstrate that you have understood these, these outcomes, and then we'll move on to chapter two in the book. And so that just that paradigm shift of moving from a knowledge-based system to an experiential system Mm-hmm. Da, is going to break down the silos of content and create more of an interdisciplinary approach. I think the other thing, though, Sarah, and we we talked about this, is that we start to think about reflection and metacognition in all of this, because it's one thing, kids kids know how to do school. They show up every day, they do school really well, and as we put them in learning experiences, they could also start to go through those motions if we don't really put some intentionality behind asking them to reflect on what they're learning and transfer that to their day-to-day lives. That's that's the stickiness of learning is it comes through the reflection, the thinking about one's thinking, the yes. thinking about one's learning, and then the transfer to what's important to me as as a learner. It's the reflection and it's also layered into that is the self-awareness and it's also awareness of one's goals, I think. And we get, I think we use words like reflection, goal setting. They're so common, mm-hmm. like a lot of other things that we just kind of do maybe regularly. Um, and this is not just related to to the school experience, like in general, um, we do attach ourselves to things like, you know, reflection, journaling, things that are meant to get us thinking about 
ourselves and our own minds, how we work, how we don't work. But I don't know that we're so great at doing it, at knowing how to do it well, and then how to take the next step, which is what you were referring to, which is the action. Mm -hmm. You can't just state the reflection on what you've done or, or want to do or set the goal. You then have to think about you know, how, okay, well, if I want to do that, then what's the next thing that I have to do? And I think moving towards a system where we are getting more and more independent at doing these things at a higher level requires that reflection really becomes the standard, I think, for for all of us. And so like having teachers become routinely better at and I guess, more consistent in reflecting themselves probably is a st- like think of teachers on an individual level, then like as a department and then a building wide, like what is building wide teacher reflection and then collaboration in that regard look like at scale? Um, and to me, that starts to get really interesting because then that can filter directly into what a classroom might look like in five years where we're all thinking of reflection on whatever it is that we're doing, that we're building, that we're collaborating on, like it becomes the center of uh, like kind of, kind of the mechanism that moves all of our actions forward. Absolutely. I think one of the things as I transitioned from being in public education to being in a rapidly growing company, one of the things I had to unlearn was this almost having to know every step I was going to take and um, identify all the pitfalls and things that would happen and plan for them and instead move into a space where there was freedom to take a risk, try something new, expect that it won't go well, and then reflect on that and um, apply that to doing it a better the next time, that continuous improvement approach. And, you know, when I was a district administrator, I thought I was really savvy with continuous improvement. You know, I, I would say, like, I'm all about continuous improvement until I moved out of that sort of safe space, that bubble that we, that a school district puts itself in and into a place where my, my CEO is saying, take a risk, just do something (laughs) outside the box, try something, expect it's going to fail. And then let's, let's grow and learn from that. And so I think about that when you, when you talk about teachers and a systemic collaboration, I think some of that as a system becomes it's okay to try something and expect that it may not work the first time. And what what would that look like to be vulnerable as a teacher and bring kids alongside you with that? Yes. You know, we've got this real world problem to solve and here's how we think we're going to do it and to find out we didn't solve it that way, but we learned something new. Now we're going to go this way. And then that maybe didn't work. And then we're going to learn something new and we're going to go that way. And just think about the richness of a learning experience like that, where you're in that constant cycle of ideation. And what you're talking about really is almost like the anti-perfectionism mindset, I believe, right? And I think that that's another word that we just use all the time or, you know, or I want this to be perfect or this. We we it's like using the word love all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the one of those things that loses meaning, and I think people associate perfectionism with like this badge because they will say I'm a perfectionist, right? As sometimes people say it as if like they're thinking of it as a positive trait. Right. But I but I do think that even we did an experiment with this a couple years ago when I first started the Optimalist Community. Our first Twitter chat was about perfectionism, and it was still I think through the lifetime of that chat, it was still the most populated topic that we did because people showed up saying things like, it's one of those things about categories, identify, I identify as a perfectionist. However, here's why I don't like that. And there was almost like this confessional aspect to being someone that thinks of themselves as someone that starts a project and then has all of these rules for themselves and literally can't let it go until every one of those things is checked off. And every one of those things has to be checked off and done in the exact way that you thought 
And it becomes this like a piece of anxiety almost mm-hmm. where if it's not done, then if you, all of those things don't happen in that order, then the, then the thing didn't get done. Right. Um, even if it gets completed, if it's not done that way that you planned or think it should be done, then it, it feels like it's a failure. And that's like, it's like a cycle that, that continues. And, and, and I just remember getting so many people showing up thinking like, this is how I am and I don't know how to change it. And so we did that purposely at the beginning of this journey into this, um, starting the optimalist community and what became this podcast and all of that, because we wanted to see what people were doing and thinking about their own work and then how that, how we can think about that conversation over time. Like, why are we like this? And how can, and is it healthy for us as a society to, to think of, of perfectionism as something that is a standard when really, oh, are you ready for this, Michelle? No perfectionism. Let's go to reflectionism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. that. That that's not a word, but it is a. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> that word, you know. And I, I like. I I'll be the first to admit. I I grapple with my perfectionism, and it's an unlearning that I work on every day. And I think yeah. I think about what the how I got there and the like the system, the organization that I was a part of that really did um, help to shape and mold me. And I'm not blaming schools by any means. It's I'm reflecting and I'm very Mm -hmm. reflective. And so I think one of the things though, Sarah, I'm thinking about is as a teacher, I always wanted to do right by my students, every single one of them you know, class sizes of 30 kids in my class, I wanted to do right by each of them. And doing right by them was having really high marks on those end of the year accountability tests. And I would get those reports and I would look at the class and I would look at every student um, in my class and evaluate, did I do right by them? Okay. So that, first of all, that's flawed thinking, but that is what I was, you know, really what was promoted and what I was really conditioned for. And I think what I'm, the point I'm trying to get to is that in the learning design, I wanted to make sure that I did right by students. So I really tried to follow a formula. I really tried to make sure every move, every minute was designed to meet that outcome. And it just, in this conversation, it's making me wonder what would the learning have been if I would have just kind of stepped into the moment and tried something, not knowing every little detail that was going to happen, but began a learning journey with my students in a really authentic way, like what learning could they have had that isn't measurable at the end of the year state test? But what I believe really strongly is that that kind of authentic, true learning would have still provided high marks on the end of the year state test. So what I'm trying to say is I think you can have both. I think you can have that strong learning and um, learning in knowledge and skills acquisition and in those soft skills like the four C's and some of just that idea about being adaptable, taking risks, reflecting, trying something new. So I, what do you think about all that? I think I, I have a, several things I was going to, and I'm glad you said adaptable again, because I wanted to go back to that before you brought it up. But even if you separate the experience that your personal experience that you're describing here, even if you separate it from the end of year testing reality that we all face, that m- most people are still facing, something popped up for me in the way you're explaining the designing of a lesson as being almost or or anything a unit or anything as being almost like this exercise and can i separate myself from being attached to these outcomes i don't know like but i'm thinking of that each and like i taught high school so um it is so easy to fall into this pattern of thinking every class period throughout the day like that 42 minutes or whatever it is is like a show that you're putting on And I, you know, you hear a lot of, especially, especially high school teachers when you do, you know, if I, if I taught 10th grade English, I I could be teaching three of the same class. Like I could be teaching Macbeth three times a day. 
Right. And so it does become like this rehearsed checklist of like, oh, I did the first period. Now I get to do it again. What can I do better? And it, it can easily fall into this routine of being about my performance rather than being about how can I erase all of that list of things? Okay. I did it. I did these things first period, but what can we do completely different fourth period? I do feel like there's something there where we get a little seduced by that. I mean, I did it all the time. I was like, oh, I have to do this five times today. So how quickly can I do it next time? (laughs) Or like, can I be more perfect? Can the kids be more, can they get into a tighter routine? I don't know that the tighter routines are always the best way to adapt, right? To what it is that we really should be thinking about and trying. Right. As you were speaking, I was thinking a little bit about Sometimes I've been told you're ideating too much. You're (laughs) you're reflecting and trying something new too soon, and I think that's a that's an interesting. (laughs) Slow down. You need to bring everyone along with you. Were some comments that I have heard before, and it's like, no, I I love where you're going. That whatever you thought first period, whatever you plan for first period, you learn something in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so apply what you learned to the next hour. And then you learn something more and apply that to the third period. And by the end of the day, it it may not be a complete overhaul, but you've you've gathered intel, you've gathered information, and it's informed what you what you should be doing differently. You'd you'd actually be remiss and doing harm for kids if you didn't continue to ideate in, right. a, in a quick fashion because the learning is the learning that you as an instructor are gaining is help is going to help kids do better. And mm-hmm. so I think I think there's something, you know, going all the way back to your question around how do we create a culture of reflection with a staff and a school district is it's really got me thinking around what PLCs or communities of practice might you put together where teachers can lean on one another, be vulnerable, share their experience, and feel open and free to be able to experiment and try new things? I just don't know that people trust that if they do that, they'll still meet those accountability measures right. that they're held to. Yeah. And I think the thing that we're always, whenever topics like this come up in any conversational setting like this, I think we're always thinking about how, you know, isn't there space for us to do both? Does Mm -hmm. it have to be one or the other? Do we have to choose? And I think we need to continue to normalize the idea that balance just really, like sometimes we're going to be more of one thing than another. It's like, you know, in, in any relationship that you have, you might go in thinking, I, Oh, I ideally want this to be 50-50 and that's just, you know, not the reality of of living a real life. <laughs> right. And so I think um I think we have to think realistically about how we live our school days and how, you know, we we could do a little bit better in certain areas, but we we aren't always going to get that exact balance, I think. And what I did want to bring up it, as part of that, I, I liked what you were just saying about thinking about that building wide reflection. And then, of course, we're saying earlier how that then gets um, woven into the fabric of the classroom. And then kids learn how to do this as a classroom wide practice. And then an individual practice, like it's all exciting to me. But moving from thinking of like, the four C's and things that we were mentioning before, like, um, like 21st century skills and college and career readiness, all of those things that we have learned to align ourselves with for so long. In terms of reflection, if we are switching to like a core reflection-based model of running a school, what does that translate to? And I'm just going to want to know what you think about this. Uh, We're thinking about this model of reflection that deals with the four Fs. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So the four Fs, if you think of any reflection, if you were going to go when we're done recording, go reflect for five minutes about this recording, about how you thought about your experience in this interview. So I can't, I can't be reflecting during the interview. You can, 
That's good. Good, good, good. You should be compiling and reacting, I guess, right? Would be your reactions. But afterwards, the four Fs that you're going to include in your reflection are facts, feelings, findings, and then projections of the future. Oh. So facts, feelings, findings, future. So like your reflection, I think, can't just, you know, it can't just be floating around in space. It's got to be based in something that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously when we reflect on anything, it always incorporates what we felt about it. That's part of it. But then we have to move past that, right? So what did we learn when we put those facts and feelings together? What are we finding as a result of that, right? I guess we're comparing. And then the future really is just another way of, of starting to incorporate goal setting into that without using the word goal, right? What do I project for the future? What can I do? Maybe it's not a goal formally the way we would think of goals in maybe a perfectionist type of setting, but it's like, okay, well, in the future, what do I want to do differently? It could even be, what do I want to do differently the next time I reflect? Right. Like, how did I do in this exercise? You know, apply that to reflecting about individually about something you just did, reflecting on I mean, I reflect after after every time I do one of these interviews and I'm like, next time. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so bad. Tim knows what I'm talking about because he hears me record myself recording introductions and uh, outros, intros and outros for every episode where I'm like yelling at myself. <laughs> and I'm like saying the word optimalist over and over again. And I'm like, why can't I pronounce this word when I'm recording? <laughs> and he, and then he'll get a tell text me and say, why are you so hard on yourself? <laughs> right. Because he hears all of my, he's actually hearing my self-talk because I'm just sitting here at the mic recording an introduction by myself and he's the only one that's going to hear it. And he hears me yelling at myself. So Tim's the only person in the world that hears that stuff. And then I get texts. He's like, oh, you weren't nice to yourself today. (laughs) So it's interesting to hear that. And so I'm thinking of like, what do you think about that facts, feelings, findings, future? And then imagine actually kind of something similar to the way I just described how Tim listens to me. Like imagine a kid was involved in a sort of recording self-talk like that. And then a teacher heard, could hear that. And then either recommend like, okay, go on or or go back and do and do this over. Like, I don't know how that works exactly. or, or but But to me, it sounds like a way that uh, that model could kind of start to make its way into instruction. Definitely. I really like the four Fs. It, I was thinking about data, things I'm working on, things I'm trying to improve and how it is about what is what are the facts? How do I feel about it? And then what data or evidence kind of solidifies, proves my fact or my feeling or combination of both? And then what do I do with that information? How does this inform the next time? And I think about learning as such a natural process. We we learn all the time. I'm I'm curious what the most re- what the latest thing you're learning is, Sarah. What's something that you've been learning? Something I've been learning. Oh my goodness. Um about this stuff? No, just in general, like you're learning how to do something new. Is it natural that you apply these four F's in your processing, in your reflection? About- oh, yes. Yeah. So, okay. So something I can tell you something I'm learning that's new. I am learning how to really closely monitor the performance of this podcast. Okay. And so like researching and doing all that stuff, but having to look at facts, right? That's going to mm-hmm. be the first part of it. And then reflecting on how I feel about that. Like I'm upset that I had one download today, (laughs) right? (laughs) something like that. But a lot of my feelings also have to do with parts of the production. Like, do I, do I do this well enough yet? Could I use a better microphone? All of that stuff, um, which I think can be encapsulated into, because it's kind of my opinion, right? I'm doing this. I'm the only one on this side of the mic. So I'm the only one really experiencing all of that. And then putting those things together while combining like, I can tell you a ton of facts about this podcast. I can tell you a ton of facts about what similar size shows do in our category or Mm -hmm. in, you know what I mean? And I can kind of look at those and then I can put that together with what I feel. And then what are my findings in that respect? Right. Right. Like what, what, what is the reality? Cause then that, that, 
feeds directly into the future part. So what is the real expectation that I can have that will help me set a goal for like what I'm going to call my monthly active listeners? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. for, for from now until the end of the year, it's like what can I put together with all that information plus my own desires of how I want this to feel and sound? And, and what is a reasonable goal by January 1st to say, hey, this show has grown since episode one, um, which was, you know, right, almost right in the middle of the year. So all of that together is like a giant reflection package that to me, um, it's me doing it alone, but it's reflecting this whole experience of creating something. And then the creating of that can't be done without bringing other people in to collaborate with as well. So it's never going to be it's me doing the thinking in that process, but then it's having to troubleshoot how do I create that result so that the future that I want is where I start at my next step. Then I start there and I reflect again, how can I make this better? Right. And it could be short cycles of this. I mean, you did an amazing job uh, reflecting, let me say okay. that. And then, you know, model for everybody. Yeah, (laughs) You're probably, you know, you mentioned you've got some recordings later this week. So you're going to reflect and think about those recordings as well and put it into practice in these short iterative cycles while you're also thinking long term future. And I and so you asked the question of, is this fit for the classroom? Well, absolutely, because it's to me, it's genuine learning what you what you described is a natural process in your in your day-to-day world. You could have picked something like you're learning how to bake homemade cakes and what, you know, there's a learning process there. Did I use the right flour? Is the right temperature? Are the eggs cold? Are the eggs at room temperature? I, I'm not a baker, but so I'm kind of making <laughs> that stuff up. But there is a process of reflection and using the facts. And the feeling of how good something is and the findings to inform the future. So what does that look like in a classroom? Just imagine if the teacher played the role of a coach or a facilitator of that reflection and gave feedback. There's your fifth F, feedback mm-hmm. to yeah. to the learner on 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 their approach have you did you look at these facts or probed a little bit into how they were feeling what does the evidence tell you and then how does it inform your future to me that that fits so perfectly into real world experiential learning as a way to really get at that deep learning for transfer across across the school day a transfer into life and transfer into career readiness. So I think at the heart of what we're really talking about in any learning process is that cycle of reflection. Um, You read my mind right there. It was like three moments there where I was like, oh man, she said it. Oh man, she said it. But that, and I was just first, before I say this, I was going to quickly add that I didn't say before that part of feelings is also like your actual feeling about your performance, which is, I think, the part of reflection that we think is the only thing that reflection is, is just saying, I felt like I did okay on this, but I could do better. Right. Like, I felt like I did better last week and this week I actually did worse. What, you know, but then it's like, where are all those other parts? What did you do well on? What, what categorizes that? Like, so that's where like the meta part comes in, right? How do we get that to that meta level of awareness and? And uh, cognition, and then even beyond that, to creativity is really thinking about uh, how we actually felt about how we did, or if we're reflecting as a group, which I think should increasingly become a part of a classroom experience. Right. Is like how how do I feel about the performance of me and the four people I worked with today? You know that that then adds another level of of how do we how do we cooperate and get along in the next in the next world, in the future, in a future where we're now working and learning alongside AI that can do a lot of this stuff in a creative way, almost at the level that we can do it now. Like they've already, they have the 21st century skills. So what we need are mid-century skills. How do we reach that? Where's our human intelligence and how do we, you know, that's where I think we're going to find it. Absolutely. And, you know, when you were talking about working alongside one another, 
part of that too is being able to be self-aware of how you're working in the group and also giving feedback to others on on how they're showing up in the group. And so there's just so many deep there that's like a whole nother conversation about group dynamics and how different cultures work together and how different individuals work with one another. And and I think what does how does culture play into how we give and receive feedback to one another, I think is something that we need to focus on in our schools and be able to support students in doing that. I've only spoken to Michelle one other time, but this is how we talk. (laughs) We're like, okay, there, there literally could never be an end to this conversation as we get into it. Right. We're like, it's like, as you talk, I'm writing down a page of ideas that I want to, um, and what's funny is that it's not even like completely new things. It's that we are thinking about and working on a lot of parallel concepts and and I think the energy there is that like when I when I talk to you and other people like you I I do think that there's this synergy that is that we're all moving in this direction and it feels like the right direction. It does. It does. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. It it feels like there are parallel conversations about because I I feel like we're on the impetus, or maybe we're in the middle of it, like the opportunity for transformation in mm-hmm. our classrooms, unlike we've ever experienced. I I think about the power of generative AI and what I've seen in the in just even the last weeks. It's the it's the pace as just continuing to evolve so quickly that it's imperative that we figure out, okay, what does it mean to live in in a world like this? And what do our what do our students need to have? And when we talk about human intelligence, we could begin to unpack all of the various things that that fit under that category. You know, today I've just talked about it in high level with soft skills, problem solving skills, four C's. I don't even think that begins to do justice to what it means to have human centered skills in a in an AI world. Yeah, and now you I'm glad you brought that up um the four Cs again because that was actually when I was going to comment on before before I went on my very last my last uh tangent there, but I was going to comment before that what you were describing as what the classroom could be using in the the model of using those four Fs and I like that you had me describe all that and then your reflection about that made it sound to me that if we follow that model, the results that happen, if that becomes routine and the core of learning um, and the way we even like communicate and collaborate in an office setting, Mm -hmm. doesn't it sort of kind of automatically start to line up with some of the values we do want to keep from the four C's and 21st century skills and college and career readiness. Like what are the things that we can pull out from all of those that, that we're going to get just by focusing on this process of either reflecting and then doing a thing or doing a thing and then reflecting or collaborating with a group and then reflecting where reflection is either beginning or the end of everything. It is. It absolutely is. And I think Here's what I think about sometimes is the words reflection, the word communication, the word collaboration. Like, I feel like we've used those words so much in education and it's time to just take a moment and really unpack what those mean going forward, because it means more than just being able to talk with someone or think about what I did today. You know, sometimes we, I think that we can be so surface in how we define words like that or what our mental model is and taking time as an educational system to really really drill down in what does reflection mean and i like what you're what you've brought forward with the four f's and i and and the feedback f too yes because i think that I think that begins to put some context around what reflection means, because it would be really easy for us and naive of us to say, oh, you're just going to reflect. 
that's that's what's going to make a difference. You're going to build human intelligence by reflection. Well, it's much more than that. And it's much more intentional than that. And Mm -hmm. being able to help help educators see the the difference here between just surface level and really deep, um, meaningful reflection. Yeah. And because what that's going to do then is it gives each of us a chance to start really looking at ourselves and what our individual, you know, process is, what our potential is, what it could be. And then it gives us a chance to do that as a group. It gives us a chance to get that feedback from someone else who could be our teacher. It could be other peers, um, you know, and then think of a teacher who on the teacher level where they're getting that feedback from as a group. So like, it's like, we all start to see these interconnected pieces to how we are living and growing together as a human, as like this giant piece of human intelligence, right? Like growing together into the next stage of what it means to be a human on this earth, which is what we all really need to be thinking of. And it elevates what we're doing. You can do all the normal stuff that you want to and need to do in a classroom, but thinking of it with reflection as the core and adaptability as the as the model for that just elevates you to be able to create even more potential. Right. Right. On individual and group level, I think. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that I was thinking about is how how doing that is a great place to start. Like, I I also think that as an education system, we get a little bit overwhelmed with where to begin. It sounds, you know, I talk about these authentic experiences that are steeped in real world problem solving and teachers might go, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to do that. Let I want that, but I don't know how to do that. And so I think this idea of reflection is a great entry point for just taking time to reflect on the on the collaboration on the experience that you're in and those little moments will start to build towards really transforming a classroom or a school a learning environment. Yeah, I think that's a perfect sentiment and choice of words to have us start winding down this conversation. Is there anything before I ask you our couple of ending questions? Is there anything that um we left out? I mean, probably a lot, but anything that you want to get out there that that we skipped or that you had a little placeholder in from earlier? Well, I'm at a lot. A million things, right? <laughs> a million things. And I think I, I'm really reflecting on just this whole 21st century skills, career and college readiness for C's. And really would love to have another conversation with you about like, are are those the right, are those the right competencies? Are there other things now that we have a, a post AI world that we need to be thinking about and really defining what do all of those those terms, those cons- competencies mean? I think about adaptability. We didn't even really get no into <laughs> that as a concept, and that that's not one that I hear a lot. I hear the four C's. Um, mm-hmm. Think about you know portraits of a graduate profile of a learner. I hear four C's a lot, but that idea about adaptability is one that that I'm really eager to talk with you more about because that is that I think that we're going to need that more and more with with our use of AI because that is I have some new information now I'm going to modify what my thinking was mm-hmm. and reflect on what I learned and I'm going to change my behavior in response to the new information and that that kind of agile thinking and that problem solving and critical thinking is is one I think that's been left out of the 21st century skills that we've talked about. And as we look ahead to the future, I almost feel like it's going to be a leading competency that that we need to have as we evolve with change and as the world evolves. 
Couldn't agree more. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, stay tuned for episode two. Right. right. <laughs> Adaptability podcast with Sarah and Michelle. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what we're starting. <laughs> I'm feeling compelled right now to throw it out there to anyone listening in any position in education. Let us know. You know, go on Twitter right now, do hashtag optimalist to, to get our attention, or you can tag me in it if you want to go directly to me. But I want to know, like, what are your thoughts about, first of all, the idea of adaptation and or adaptability and reflection? And I would say maybe resilience, something that's added to that. These are the kinds of things we're thinking almost start to form the new version of these four C's, et cetera, et cetera, or the 21st century skills. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, what do you guys out there think about the level that we're placing these, these skills on. And then what are the, what would you say are the new, are the new skills that we need? What are you discovering in your daily work, in your practice? I would also say like, is the choosing of these things going to come from the same place as it always has? Or is it going to be more of a collaborative experience between, you know, we're all kind of deciding this together. Cause I think we all have to be reaching to this level, not just, not just in a school setting, but everywhere. Right, because that human intelligence needs to be human wide. Right. I mean, I I think at ProSolve we are centered on our education system right now, but we are also looking at what what does it mean for the current workforce when it comes to gaps in human intelligence. How mm-hmm. do we work closely with businesses to upskill to increase their human intelligence because it's not like like everyone that's in the workforce today is prepared for interacting and working in um collabor- in collaborative settings wh- communicating really effectively being adaptive okay they're that the current workforce lacks skills as as well and so i think you know our focus is on on the future workforce but i think there's room sarah for a conversation around how do we help support and upskill our current, our current workforce. Yeah. And that'll be episode three. So more, more coming from us, everybody. Um, So Michelle, before we completely have to cut each other off here and and make ourselves stop talking. Right. um, I do like to ask people if you have anything you want to share about, uh, I like to kind of give, give our audience a snapshot into maybe another side of or your personality or what fills up, what kind of things are, are filling up your brain or, you know, your consumption of stuff like we all have. Um, so is there anything you are reading or listening to or watching recently that it doesn't even have to be professionally aligned, but anything that you would, you would say you would recommend people also consume or get a hold of? That that thanks for asking. Most of most of my <laughs> consumption is very focused professionally. I confess. Um, That's I totally do. fine. I totally get it. As I'm looking at my one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven books on my desk, and they're all about AI and <laughs> and uh, attention and all this stuff. I have fallen into reading Lessons in Chemistry. So that is a novel. It's a series on Apple, Apple TV now. But I've I've told myself I have to finish the book before I can watch the series. So that is, you know, something on a personal side. But I'm really into, I guess what I would call like micro learning. I subscribe to a ton of listservs. And um, so I'm always reading articles and blogs and finding podcasts. And my favorite podcast, of course, is is the Optimalist podcast. Good answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You know, I I actually really am trying to stay in tune to the education market and what what is what is the market telling us that they they need and that they want and what what are educators thinking about and so. I find Ed Webb has a ton of great content. Um, Ed Week pushes good content. I've actually, GSB AGU <laughs> produces a daily, uh, a daily curation of articles, both in the education and business sector that I find really fascinating. So that's kind of how I fill my, 
you know, fill my micro learning. I um, am the biggest fan of Brene Brown. And so Mm -hmm. I have read everything she's written, every podcast she's done. And I'm very sad that she's no longer producing audio content because I would love, loved tuning in to listen to her. She really has been instrumental in developing me as a leader, uh, as well as Simon Sinek is another favorite. So yes, those are, you know, the, but I'm right now, I'm much more into the tidbits, how many little, you know, articles and things that I can read versus um, a lot of books. So mm-hmm. that, that would be, that okay. would be where I am. And as far as people, when people listen to this episode and realize, wow, what creates energy between Sarah and Michelle? And they're like, I want to follow Michelle. Right. <laughs> Where can people follow you or go to interact with a lot of the things that I saw originally that made me um, hallucinate that I knew you? <laughs> so where can people interact with you and find more information about the work that you're doing? Well, certainly on Twitter, where we found each other at MLAment, and then also on LinkedIn. I found LinkedIn to be a place where I'm able to really interact with other thought leaders in this space. And so I guess I'm posting probably the most content on LinkedIn. I'm not, I'm also not bound to what the 280 characters on, on X. Yeah anymore. So I'm finding some freedom there, but I really, really want to expand into like TikTok and Instagram. And I kind of want to get cutting edge there. So any listeners are really good at that. (laughs) I'd love for them to reach out to me because I just haven't taken the plunge Wow. In terms of it's hard. It's a hard thing to commit to all of the content everywhere at once. Um, It's a hard thing. It's why social media managers are a big, a big deal. Right. Right. uh, Because it's more than more than just a post, right? It's a whole strategy. But cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is our second attempt to be with everybody today. (laughs) Yes. We had a wild, never experienced by me before audio problem this morning, which I'm sure Tim will hear all about um, when I record my self-reflection to him later on today. Um, But yeah, so this is our second time today. And I'm so glad that we didn't have to put this off another day because I wanted to be totally focused on this conversation that I was so excited for. And I'm very glad that we did. I told Michelle she had to be my only interview today. Um, I am leaving really energized, Sarah. So thank you for the opportunity to talk with you for the last bit of time. An hour. Yeah. My idea, my mind's just kind of bursting right now with all kinds of ideas. And, and I look forward to continuing conversation here in the near future. Something that strikes me when I talk with Michelle is how willing she is to dive into topics that we are both thinking about separately, but for which there's no obvious solution. So in its place, naturally, is exploration. And that's what all of my conversations with Michelle are like. This is the second week, episode 32, where I am instituting reflection prompts or questions at the end of each episode. Typically, these will be asked by the guests themselves, but until we catch up with those episodes to start us off, I am going to keep doing it for them. So for this week's episode, let's reflect on how the day-to-day experience in schools should change with the rise of AI, including incorporating human intelligence, like soft skills, and using reflection as an authentic learning experience. What I would ask you to do is, of course, reflect privately, but if you follow me or Swivel on Twitter or Instagram, you can participate in the discussion there by replying to reflection posts that you see for this episode, or you can comment on Substack underneath this post if that is where you are listening. Additionally, I need you all to continue making some noise for this podcast anywhere that you listen that allows you to rate and review. Please consider letting us know what you think by leaving a review or rating, of course, in Apple Podcasts. And you can reach me on Twitter at S Candela, 
nine. The hashtag optimalist can be used always when posting answers to questions that we ask here, especially if you can't find the original post and I'll be sure to see it. I can also be reached at Sarah at swivel.com. You can listen and subscribe to the optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources mentioned today are available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Swivel. At Swivel, we understand that the biggest challenge in education is the rate of change, policy revisions, technological advancements accelerated by AI, of course, evolving job markets, and ongoing research constantly identifying new best practices are only some of the factors affecting the rate of change in education today. To learn how Swivel can help you be more reflective, engaged, and adaptable, visit swivel.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I will be back next week with a whole new conversation and a whole new reason to be reflective. 